Welcome to the Peach and Black Podcast, your central place to hear unofficial news, reviews, trivia, and intelligent discussion on all things happening in the Prince world. Featuring the hosts, MC. You know, it's got all those classic Prince elements. Captain. Why wouldn't you just record as much as you could? Player. It's just like a story chest of ideas. Toe Jam. Either version. I love both versions. Other special guests. Hi, this is Larry Grant. And you're listening to the Peach and Black Podcast. Hi, this is Ricky Peterson, and you're listening to the Peach and Black Podcast. What's happening, Australia? This is Tony M from the New Power Generation. You're listening to the Peach and Black Podcast. Hey, everybody, this is St. Paul Peterson, and you're listening to the Peach and Black Podcast. Hi, this is Eden Nelson. You're listening to the Peach and Black Podcast. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Peach and Black Podcast. We are gathered here today to do another album review. Just when you thought we had run out of albums to review, we come up with a surprise. An album that we haven't spoken about. And it's very much a Prince album. Ooh, controversy. Okay, before we talk about the album by The Family, the band is The Family, the name of the album is The Family, we are going to, well, I'm going to introduce the Peter Black podcast panel. What a long intro player. Get off. Tojem. Shh, not so loud, baby. <laughs> and Captain. St. Paul, punk of the month. <laughs> Uh, my Cadillac is platinum plaid, don't you know it? It's uh, Rob S rounding out the Rob S family here. You and know, we're about- all those four things we just said, I just knew that was the four that we were all going to say. Yeah. I've got, three of them, I've got three of them written here. I've got get off, <laughs> shush, not so loud. <laughs> and I knew that Morris Day one was going to be in there too. <laughs> I just knew it. So let's get into this. It is the family album, the first and only album by the Prince Protégé group, really, called The Family. I'm just going to start this off by saying this is basically a Prince album in disguise. I think it's fairly well known. If you're listening to this show, you already know that. But I think we need to put that out there. Just like virtually any other Protégé record that I can think of, this is very much the creative work of one guy extrapolated out through these characters. Predominantly, the captain's intro quote, uh, St. Paul, who is the St. Paul Peterson to you. He's the, the main guy here. He's on the album cover with Susanna Melvoin. He is the lead vocalist, the lead character in this uh, mood piece of an album, if you will. And he takes all the vocals. We're going to get into it, I'm sure. But but really, Let before we go into to- to one thing you just said there, before I forget about it, is yes, this is basically a Prince album, but this album... And, you know, the first couple time albums, which again, Prince albums, but they really lack what actual Prince albums have. And that's that all these little bells and whistles, like the intricate details. These are a lot more like stripped down sort of albums compared to his own stuff, I think. Do you reckon that is because he's like knocking them out? Probably. I mean, back then there was, you know, they were just flying out and he, he didn't spend that much time on this stuff, but on his own stuff, he did. It's probably part of it. Yeah. Anyway, just thought I'd say it's that. It's an interesting comment, actually, because it depends on how you look at this sort of album. 
there's many, many ways we can classify it. Is it a throwaway? Is it an experiment? Is it a serious? Ooh, it's experimental or... for sure. Well, I yeah, can, it is experimental. I can, I can jump in and take this one. Jump into so, the waters, baby. <laughs> so the way I see this album is Prince is like using it as testing ground for his own stuff. So like mm. previous to this, I mean, yeah, he had Eddie M on his album and stuff, but he never really had saxophone. Same with mm. Claire Fisher. Like Claire Fisher was new on this. He did have the strings on the Purple Rain album, but like I think he used these kinds of albums to test how to arrange strings on songs and how saxophone would go down within his own work. And then when he sort of masters it through these side albums, he incorporates it into his own album. Mm. So like, you know, he doesn't really, the way I see it, take the chance so much on his own albums. So he kind of like sees how it goes on these albums and then... Mm. You know, it's like a test and measure thing. You know, this worked, this doesn't work. And then whatever he's comfortable with, then he incorporates it into his own work sort of thing. So that's the way I see it when I hear these albums. Yeah, because this was the first album, wasn't it, that Claire Fisher, yeah. well, yeah, it was. if you want to say collaborate, even though they never even met, but they sent tapes to each other. That is remarkable, isn't it? Like That's crazy when that... you think about it. Like when you think the about amount it now. of stuff that he contributed to Prince's work, never even met. Did they even talk on the phone? Who knows? See, this is what I'm saying. Like, you know, for Prince, he would get tapes and then he would have to go through this stuff and, you know, incorporate it into the actual music, you know, cut it and arrange it. So, you know, it's it's that sort of process that he's learning through these albums. Yeah, it's it still is incredible, though, to think that Claire Fisher and Prince never met. Allegedly, they never met. And both of them have now sadly passed away. But this is, if I'm not mistaken, the first time. It's definitely one of the first, but I believe it's the first Prince album or Prince-related album, I guess, to incorporate Claire Fisher string orchestrations and string arrangements, right? I mean, I know... You can count the little synths on Purple Rain and stuff like that here and there, but this was the first actual orchestra. This was the first orchestral stuff that he had on an album. I think his player just said, like, before this, you had Novi Novog as the string arranger, but this is the first one that Claire's on. And I think there's definitely a big difference in terms of the the sound of the strings. They're bigger. It's an actual orchestra. It's not like a little quartet or something. Yeah. I kind of see this album as... The three creative people on this album are Prince, Eric Leeds, and Claire Fisher. Like, that's that's what this album is, I think. Yeah, um, exactly. Even though the band itself is presented as kind of the remains of the time. So you've still got Jelly Bean and you've got uh, Jerome Benton. Jerome. But then you've got St. Paul, who was in the time towards the end. He's now the lead guy. You've got Susanna as kind of the the muse. And then Eric Leeds is the, is the new factor. And I, I think, I don't think Eric Leeds, this is the first time uh, Prince release has Eric Leeds on record, I think. It is, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think so. Yeah, before this, you had Eddie M on Around the World in a Day. And yep. um, obviously, Glamorous Eric had been around since. Stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. So, Eric had been around since the Purple Rain tour. But this to me is really like the pre Madhouse album. Yeah. It's exactly. the genesis of where Madhouse, this, after yep. this came the Madhouse thing. But well, I guess we'll get to that. And in a way, it's also the genesis of much of Under the Cherry Moon, really. Right. There's yeah. a lot of thematic yeah definitely uh, oh yeah there's a relationship the sound of this album is like just smack bang in the middle between around the world in the day and parade yeah and madhouse (laughs) yeah well there's like you know tinges of you know madhouse being conceived yeah come on let's go well i just want (laughs) to i just want to say one that for the longest time when i was first becoming a prince fan i always thought when i thought of string arrangements i always thought around the world in a day was 
a Claire Fisher production, but it wasn't. It's crazy to think that Claire Fisher had nothing to do with songs like Raspberry Beret, Condition of the Heart, all those. The latter. Yeah. I mean, that's just remarkable to think that that was actually not (laughs) Claire Fisher related. Then Claire Fisher comes into the picture on this fairly obscure record. And as you guys have already said, Eric Leeds' first studio appearance, just for those two facts alone, this is a remarkable album because the two most unique, I would argue, musicians that Prince ever had, mainly because of the fact that he couldn't do what they did, so they, were, they, were, they brought the most uniqueness to his music, both come together in, within the music on this album. That is a huge factor. And the only reason I make such a big point of it before we about, we're about to talk about the actual music itself is if you strip Eric Leeds away from this album, in many ways it becomes three quarters of a record. If you strip Claire Fisher orchestrations and the orchestra from this album, it becomes probably less than half of what this album is. It just becomes a very dry, dense funk record in some ways. But just think about that. Those two guys contribute so much. So I just wanted to really put a spotlight on those two guys because they're not just bit players. I think someone else mentioned like they're an important part of this album, very important part of it. Okay, uh, I'm sure we're going to talk about track by track. I got a question for you, MC Rob, uh, MC. <clears throat> um, <laughs> clear that through because a few of these associated artist albums, when we've been doing them, often you haven't like. There's been a few where you've only listened to it for the first time that week. How, when did you first see this one? <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> yeah, yesterday. Good one. You're trying to catch me out. Oh, I just no, heard I'm just it curious. today. I'm curious. <laughs> I can't. No, I was joking. I was joking when I said oh, I just heard it today. Obviously, I've yep. heard it. I heard it many years ago, but I would say I can't remember. But I would say maybe ten years ago. Okay, so while you, you know you're, you're yeah. familiar with this material, it's not new to me, but it, it came relatively late when you think about it. Yeah, I wasn't very familiar with it. When I was, let me put it this way, when I was becoming a Prince fan, I didn't even know this album existed. Like, I may have seen the cover or something, but I really, at that point in my fandom, I thought obscure Prince albums meant they were shit Prince albums. <laughs> but, and in some cases, I was right. But we'll, we'll get, we're about to find out what I, what I think and what you guys think of this record. Okay. The first well, time that Rob heard this album was when he heard Sinead O'Connor. <laughs> <laughs> in, in many ways, yeah. Well, yeah, I've got um, to add, I'm not, I'm not going to blow my future reviews, but I've probably only heard this album three times in my entire life. Wow. <laughs> and, and two of them were like yesterday. Oh, wow. <laughs> I've heard it more than you then. Yeah. So I should say one last thing before we go into this, into the music portion of this album. This record was released in August 1985. So it's come... A fair few months after Around the World and the Day was released and at a time when Prince's popularity was massively high, he's pure pop superstar. But I think it's important to mention that this album comes after probably the most experimental album in his career up until that point. So he doesn't, you know, yes, it's not a Prince album, we've covered that, but the next official release from Paisley Park Records is not some mainstream shindig. It's what we're about to talk about now, more of an artsy project, I guess, in uh, many ways. All right, let's get into the music because I just can't wait any longer. Eight tracks make up this album. The first one is called High Fashion. High Fashion, where my money goes. High Fashion, honey, I'm all the way home. 
It is the first song on this LP, Side One, Track One, High Fashion, Player. What are your thoughts? Uh, I really like this one. This is a really good opener. It is essentially just a groove. It doesn't really sort of deviate much from the main riff of it. It opens up with that. I guess it's a keyboard. It's, it sounds a very sort of festive carnival sound. That's the vibe I get from it. I remember when we went and saw the Peterson Brothers in Sydney at the basement. I remember when they played this song. It was, it was really cool. And then after that sort of carnival sound, I don't know how to describe it, but after that sound, it kind of goes into the groove and it's got that chicken grease sort of like really up in the mix. Yeah, you can hear that and it's all Prince. You can like you can tell it's him. And of course, the Claire Fisher strings that breezes in and out through it. It's, it's, it's really cool. It's a really good opener. Good way to kick off the album. All right, all right. Toe Jam, what are your thoughts on this opening track? High fashion. It's a high quality song. It's that Mixolydian sound again, that Purple Rain era. He has that Mixolydian thing with the hooks. Oh, yeah, this one. Okay, so yeah. Got that Mixolydian hook line. I'll sing it now. Again, a real Mixolydian sort of sound, playing off that three and four notes of the scale, which he loves. I've written here, player describes it as a carnival sound. I've written it's like a synthy flute with some sort of chorus effect on it. Yeah. Um, I, I love the bass in this song. It's like a synth bass, but it's like I've written a wine glass sound. I, I can't describe it any other way. It doesn't sound like a bass sound. It just sounds like something else that's being played octaves lower than it normally would be. So the bass is really cool. It moves around a lot doing all this way through the drums are really simple it sounds to me like it's just one take of prince just playing the drums it's a bit distorted like the snare drum is open but it's quite distorted when he does the big fills um this goes with a lot of the album but but the vocals are a little bit low in the mix it could have been a bit bit more i think um the strings kind of fade in at the chorus which is good eric Leeds comes in at 320 and um Four minutes, you've got some really cool toms going on very briefly in the background. Uh, but my favorite part in the song is the end where Peterson's singing the money man. And then he, he does this massive bend. It starts at 440 and he starts on the major six. And over like four bars or so, he just goes down like one tone. So it's a very oh, yeah. slow bend. And the first time you hear it, you think, oh, what's he doing? He's getting out of tune. But then you realize, no, it's, it's the effect that he's going to land on this other note. But while that's happening, if you listen to the background vocals, what they're doing, they're just coming in on these different notes uh, and they're actually going up they're going note four note five and then peterson hits the five with them and then they come in on like a beautiful jazzy two note such a funky moment in the song i love that the song is i mean the lyrics are pretty obvious what they're about it, it certainly has that parade under the cherry moon christopher tracy you can imagine christopher tracy kind of singing this song that character you know he's living the high class world even though he's from a low class world or something yeah so it's a good it's just a good song it's a good fun song like I said, with the drums being the one take, this is, I think, is kind of the beginning of the Madhouse sound, uh, this funky stuff with just like a one take drums and then sort of everything's built around that. That's the way I imagine a lot of these songs have been done. Uh, so it is a strong opener and it's fun. It's uh, funny. It's a good um, summary of the album. All right. Captain, your turn. This song was the second single of this album and final single. So there's that. I like how that funky guitar is just there, like right from the start. And it's just so clean. It just sounds really good. Uh, everyone's already said it all. How many times have we said that over a million episodes of this show? You can clearly hear <laughs> Claire Fisher's great strings come in on the choruses. It just sounds so good. Uh, it's about 204. Very obvious nod to Morris Day with 
I think that's what MC said at the start of the show. Is that that part right there? Cadillac. Something like that, yeah. Oh, no, it's a Rolls Royce. That's right. Ah, you got it wrong. Good on you. <laughs> yeah, and you got Eric Leeds, three minutes something, comes in. First time on this song, first time on the album. It's just so good to hear Eric Leeds and Claire Fisher. And the only thing I noticed with the lyrics, yes, I listened to a few, is all this money man. It just makes me think this song was like, and then that spun off into Rich Man on yeah, Paul Peterson's same. album. Yeah. It's such a similar idea and what, what he's going on about. So, if, you know, this is kind of the post time and the times kind of Morris Day's playing the money man in that as well. But it's different with Paul Peterson because it's kind of more of a, it's like the European, you know, white bit more fancy. Kind of rich guy. Yeah, it's a bit different. Yeah. Mm. But that's all I've got to say. That much to say. It's a good song. You just need to listen to it. There's, I don't think there's that much to say about it. Yeah, listen to it, people. Just um, listen to it. Don't listen to us. Well, listen to us. To then the go song. and listen to it. <laughs> you guys have said a lot, and Captain's right. We, we do say that quite often. By the time we get around to the third or fourth Everyone person, said like, everything. Oh. <laughs> you stole my notes. Yeah. But I will say this is too funky. Like, it's who has the right to create, record, produce this many funky ass tunes like it's very insane it boggles the mind how committed prince was to funk music in particular how he worked at that genre and other people have said this but i i whoever has ever said this i completely agree with them out of every genre in the world every genre of music the one genre that he definitely mastered was funk and then the other genre which he basically created and mastered was the minneapolis sound which was you know people have said this as countless over years the black bass line with the white rock guitar here he gets into this dry sparse fairly minimalistic super mac style kind of funny kind of cheesy in in a way but kind of like there's a lot of humor in this song you could almost picture this actually being played in some of the scenes from the movie under the cherry moon like i I know there is no direct link but i can kind of see that i I could see this being used in the film this could have easily been morris day easily oh yeah 100 percent. but with this prince isn't going for that I guess, R&B-fueled funk sound. He's going for the... I don't know what he's going for. He's With Paul Peterson... Jazzy. Yeah, there's a bit of European jazz and classical in there and it just (laughs) like takes that time sound and just spins it a bit. Yeah, European jazz is a great... Jazzy and European jazz is a great way to describe this because, you know, when people throw the word jazz around, this is hardly a jazz album by any stretch, but there are kind of tingles of cocktail jazz to a degree, to a large degree, I think, on much of the music here, especially on this song. But what I want to really say is, darn it, this is a huge opener. It's not a let's go crazy or a controversy in the sense that it's not overly visceral, like it doesn't absolutely blow your head off from a pure sound perspective. But this is one funky ass opening track to any album. It puts you in the mood straight away. It's got really funny, creative lyrics. It never, even though I use the word cheesy, the lyrics themselves aren't really cheesy. They're to the point. Like, it's very clear what this song's about. You know, the high fashion girl who she just wants the best of everything, the best clothes, the best everything. And then the St. Paul Peterson character, 
is talking about how no he's the mac like he he's got it all you know and he's just like it's almost like a competition between who is the most uh, blingy <laughs> character in this song is it Paul or is it the women that he's surrounded by? And you just get this image of like the French Riviera and all these like completely dolled up women and Paul Peterson driving around in a Cadillac. It's just a very visual song because of the lyrics. So I like that. And I will say one other thing. It's massively underrated. Like all, all four of us love Prince. All four of us are pretty high on the funk factor. Like when it comes to being fans, I'm, a lot. All, all of us love Prince's funk music. I don't think in any episode of the Peach and Black podcast or in any conversation I've had with you guys over the last decade, anyone has ever mentioned this song for any reason. <laughs> and it's freaking funky as heck. And again, that, that's why I wanted to mention that because it brings me back to that initial point. How many goddamn songs does this guy have? We probably never mentioned it because we've never reviewed it yet. And now we are. No, no I know that. But you know what? <laughs> And now we no, are. I know that. No, but you know what I'm getting at? Like, it's it's so freaking good. Like, at least that's what I think. Yeah, so Prince's drums are kind of sloppy, but they're also in the pocket throughout the, the whole bit. Uh, they get sloppier in other parts of this album, but I'll get to that. But they're pretty good. He's, he's got the groove tight. Uh, I know I'm kind of contradicting myself, but Prince was a contradiction, a walking contradiction. So there you go. Eric Leeds, funky as heck. And he brings an element of funk that hasn't been heard. I think Player mentioned this. It's, it's you know the first time that really the sax was so prominent at this point. And really, prior to this, Prince was replicating horn sounds with synths. So it's kind of cool. And I think that's why Eric Leeds holds such a special place in the Prince community because he he was the first. Not only was, was he one of the best, but he was the first guy that came out there with a real instrument and started blowing his horn over Prince's music. So... That's me, done, track one, has been reviewed. Let's go to song number two, Mutiny. You just, what was that song just recently that you just went way overboard about how great it was? Is, oh, is it Electric Inn, of course. Did it just happen again? It may have. <laughs> I'm so excited. Um, it's just it's a good song, but it's not like, you know, it's not the greatest funk song ever made, which you almost I'm said. Not, I'm not saying it is the greatest funk song, but I am close. I am genuinely surprised that this doesn't get mentioned with other songs from the 84, 85, 86 period by people. But anyway, maybe it's just me. Okay, let's go to song number two because I'm about to get excited again. Let's get into track number two. It is Mutiny. And I'm going to go in the other direction now. I'm going to hand this over to Captain to open up this review with his thoughts. Captain. Ooh, uh, what a groove. What else can you say? The bass, the keyboards, that funky little guitar. And this song contains a phrase which we all know came to mean much more later on. I think it was Player did it right at the start. It's Get Off. It became a song. It became a whole bunch of different songs and remixes and different versions. And it was mentioned in other songs. All started right here, I think. I could be wrong. But it's really obvious here. And in the 2012 tour, during Dance Electric, Morris Hayes was triggering the sample of that during Ooh. Dance Electric. Get off. So that kick drum, <laughs> that kick drum at the intro, to me, it's it has such a madhouse sound. 
there's a very similar sounding yeah, kick it's... on probably the first Madhouse album. It's just that sound, and he started it here, and it continued all through that Madhouse stuff. There's just this single little horn swell at 102. I really like that. And there's a tiny little cymbal. Oh, what is it? It's some fancy little cymbal work at 118. It's just this little thing, and you might not notice it, but it's there. Uh, I got a cool solo from Eric and the, the great outro. And I didn't listen that closely, but there's some samples of Prince near the end saying something to Morris. Sounds like it's from like chlorine bacon skin or something. I don't know. Well, yeah, the groove. It's all about the groove, this song. It's good stuff. All right, Toe Jam. I think this is the best song on the album. This is like, this is funk. Um, to me, this is like, high fashion's good, but this is like, this is another level. The snare is really thick. The kick is thick. You've got the bass just doing those octaves. Dun, 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 dun. It's really Larry Graham, just in the groove funk. Uh, you've got two hooks going on at the same time. You've got that. And then over the top of that, you've got Eric doing the catchiest little hook line. That's too too catchy. Just get stuck on your ear. Uh, you got the big mutiny on beat one. You know, uh, George Clinton has that song, Everything's on the One. That's what this song reminds me of, just mutiny on beat one. And then it grooves on. A couple of cool moments in this song. I like the breakdown part thick. I guess you'd call them pre-chorus parts where the band kind of quietens down a bit and St. Peter's doing the the talking and he's like, baby, you know, listen here. (laughs) (laughs) And um, there's some awesome stops in that part. Like um, Mm. they're on the second semi-quaver of beat one. So it's just real tight stops. And they happen like three three or four times, both times. Uh, My favorite part of the song in this one is, well, a lot of the times in the song, there's like this hanging major six note. Either it's Eric playing it or it's the the chord, the organ holding it. And um, of course, for anyone who knows their music theory, at one point in the song, it goes to the four chord, like real James Brown moment. And that major six now becomes the major third of the four chord. And it just like, it's this massive relief sound. Like, uh, do you guys know the part I'm talking about where the, it just swells up to that organ hold that, yeah. and it's just, that, yes. it's like everything just brightens up. And it's like, it just reminds me of James Brown, like take it to the four, you know, just. Everything bright. Yeah. It's really cool. Um, and Eric is playing some cool stuff on that. Interesting, the next time it does the, the breakdown part, the stops are on one and instead of one E. Um, so they're like slightly later stops. So I wonder if, the, I, and again, I have a feeling that's just because the track, like most of these tracks, is again, probably just a one track bass. And I think when he's, whoever's playing it, I'm assuming it's Prince, when he gets to the part again, he's forgotten that the first time he did it on the semi-quaver and the next time, so he's doing it on the quaver. So I reckon that's what's happened. But And it, it would be so close that he really, it, yeah, he, he wouldn't would, be able to tell in the moment. Yeah, exactly. He's like, oh, I think that's what I did last time. But yeah, so they just roll with it and they fix it up. Well, they don't fix it up. Is what, what I mean, when they're putting the instruments on top of it, they just play along with that rhythm. Um, yeah, really cool. I love the ending as well, where the band just stops and you have the hand claps just keep going on two and four, you know, Vogue all the way. Uh, Eric Leeds holding this real tense, sharp four note. And that's when you can hear Prince in the background saying something like, Moas, did you get it? Did you get it? Like, it's almost like they're in the studio. Like he's um, kind of taunting Morris. Like, you know, you could have had this song almost. <laughs> <laughs> that's the way I've always, always heard it. But yeah, yeah, this is just so thick. It's so funky. Seeing this live at the um, one of the 2012 after shows was one of the highlights of my life. This, this song just went nuts when that, this came on. And I think after that, I've rediscovered the studio version a lot more. Uh, we should point out that these first two tracks, there are circulating among collectors versions of these songs that are basically yes. exactly the same without the strings, but and with Prince doing the vocals. So, and they're basically 
line for line. So, you know, Paul Peterson is talented as that dude is on his own. He's basically just seeing exactly what Prince has asked him to sing. So it's um, interesting. Which is exactly what happened with the Time albums as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Prince is like, here's the song, here's my vocal, copy it exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Prince. (laughs) I think there's actually um, Paul Peterson has basically said that, like when he was recording this album, that he had to like redo the takes to, to make it exactly sound like the way Prince sung it as as the guide track. Uh, yeah, don't you go, don't you go putting your own thing in there. No, this is my song. <laughs> you do it my way. I wouldn't be surprised if it's the thing like, oh yeah, yeah, come on, Paul, uh, let, let's record these vocals. Yeah, I tell you what, how about we just do a vocal first? Just copy what I do first, and and then we'll let you. <laughs> Yeah, he records yeah, yeah. the first one, just copies, and then he's like, "Oh yeah, let's record some other ones." And you know, go ahead, just do what you want. And then Paul's put on all this other stuff. But then when the album comes out, it's the first take again. So <laughs> that would, be yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, he, didn't, he, he didn't even record all those other takes. He was only recording the first one. All the rest, like, <laughs> don't even waste the tape. The tape. tape, the tape stopped for for all the other. Tape's takes. expensive. Oh, sorry, Paul. Yeah. <laughs> one thing I'll, I'll say quickly before we get a player is when uh, Toe Jam, when you're talking about that moment where you rediscovered the song after hearing it at the Australian After Show, that's the one you and I were at together, remember? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. we were in the front row and that version of that song was so crazy. I remember it went for like 10 minutes or something. It felt like 10 minutes and it was basically the same version they were playing on the whole tour. But mm. there was, I remember there was this one moment and I think it was during that song where Prince started clapping, but he was clapping on the one and the three, not the uh, was it one, one and three? Yeah, he was clapping on the one and the three, not the two and the four. And people just couldn't keep up with him. Like they just, I just remember this moment. Like he was just waiting for the audience to get the clap, and <laughs> it took them a really long time. And then once you got it, I don't know if you remember this, Tajin, but once once we got it, it was like I was sweating my, I was just sweating that's, that jacket that I was in out. That's because that's was, weird because it's it's white people's normal instinct to clap on the one and three anyway. <laughs> I don't know why they had a hard time getting it. Or is it the two and four? Let me just think about this. It was Two and four is the right way, but most white people are dumb and clap on the one and three like idiots. Yes, it was the two and four he was trying to get us, actually. I got that completely. That makes makes a lot more sense. Because I was just thinking about the beat of this song. So, yeah, two or four. And it took people a while to get that. Um, Clapping on the one and three is very white, very country, which makes sense in Queensland, I guess. (laughs) At Eaton's Hill. Um, hmm. All right, let's go to player. Yeah, I like the way the the way it segues from the last song into this song. So it's just like it's almost like a continuation, and that kick drum is like really big and eighties sounding, and like a big gated eighties drum, like almost Phil Collins kind of eighties drum sound. <laughs> but you can also hear the tinges of the parade sound coming in on this track. There are elements of it there. It's obviously a big digger. Morris Day and the time and Morris leaving and this is the response for it and it's no more obvious than the outro when uh, with Prince you can hear him, clearly hear him say Morris in that voice that they always put on so yeah that's really interesting and it's not even like you know Paul Peterson or somebody doing it it's a, you know it's actually Prince you know you actually hear his voice in the in the track you wouldn't want to Go. leave Prince's band because he always has a he'll put he'll diss you in the next lyric like yeah. oh, hey Des don't you like my band and yeah and Morris did you get it and, <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. don't leave and Prince really loved this song I think he pulled this out on the 86 hit and run tour he did it in 2012 tour he did it in on Arsenio 
2000, um, I think he did it on that hits tour as well. Yeah, that's right. Oh, I that so, senior yeah. performance, that is gold. That's one of my favorite performances. Yeah. So it, clearly, I mean, you know, it's not, I mean, it is his song, but, you know, it's not credit to the prince, but, you know, he took that song and he always kind of brought it back. So he, he must have really thought something of this, of this song himself. So it's very interesting. Just on Prince singing it, I've always felt Prince always struggled doing it live on the vocal. He just kind of couldn't get the volume in the, the low verse. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So the few times he did, I always found every time I listened to him do it live, he was struggling to get the volume out of his low register. Low pitch. Yeah. yeah. Which is weird because he can do it. He, he's oh, yeah, singing, he can hit he's it. sung way lower, but I think it's mm. very difficult to replicate vocal bass notes in a live band setting, especially when you've got 13 trumpet players around you. <laughs> yeah. And, and when you've yeah. been dancing around doing the splits and suddenly you've got to sing this low verse vocal. Yeah, exactly. The other interesting thing before this... I forget, around the time that the rehearsal version of this song was released in, uh, I think, April 2012, allegedly the track, the rehearsal track of this song was sent to Paul Peterson prior to being released on the internet. Do you guys remember yeah. that? Yeah, I remember yeah. that. That's right. Yeah. Oh, this is Menards or something, isn't it? Well, Prince sent Paul Peterson and Lux the song, and then like a week later, they responded with like a stream of their own remake of Prince's song Hot Summer, but they called it Hot Summer at Menards, which was like a home goods or hardware store hardware or something. Or it was hardware store or something. <laughs> so it was like, yeah. like he's being funny about it by sending it to them. And I actually really like the gusto that Paul Peterson and F Deluxe had at the time to go, all right, yeah, okay, that's one, one nothing, but we're going to even it up, make it one all. Here you go. <laughs> that was quite funny. I could imagine on, on both sides, they were probably cacking themselves laughing. Although I don't know if Prince would have seen the humor in it. But uh, anyway, that's another... <laughs> uh, that's another story. Yeah. But you reckon? Yep. Okay. So. Now, now it's your turn. I am. You did yours, didn't you? No. <laughs> well, you talked a lot. Get up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. All right. Let's do this. This song is so darn funky. It is a slow, sparse, nasty, nasty, filthy, funky song. It is even funkier than the first track. And I was... <laughs> Really, you know, oh, no. really high on life during that first song. I've got go. less less to say about this, but I've got even higher praise to put on it. The melodies are darn filthy funk. It's gut bucket type stuff. It really is. It's like you've either got it or you don't. And if you can play the gut bucket type of funk that he's putting out on this track, <laughs> you can do it. But you're in a small group of people that can really pull this off and make it sound genuine and... Uh, like really enjoyable in in worse hands this could be a mess but he just keeps everything together this is even though i was kind of surprised to hear toe jam say this i was almost like playing around because i do think this is either the best or the second best piece of music on this record without a doubt and what about a one-two punch to open an album high fashion there's the left jab and mutiny is the right hook that follows it up this is a huge one to opening to this record the synth organ is funky as heck it reminds me of things that prince would do on an organ later for example uh hot thing extended and hot thing uh, organ stuff that he was doing on uh the sign of the times live concert film but uh it's really cool 
he doesn't do it often, but he's just got these little organ stabs and he's playing around with it. And, you know, he's not, hardly even playing it, really. It's just kind of playing around with the organ uh, or with the whatever it is. It's probably a synthesizer. It's almost like a, he's using it like a percussion instrument. Yeah, that's it. That's better than I could have uh, described it. He's, so that percussive element is great, funky as heck. I've said that already. But the real thing about this is the intensity of the attitude. Like Paul, I don't think, does as well a job of putting that across as Prince did in concert. But there's no two ways about it. It's like you're getting off this shit, baby. Like <laughs> mutiny is, is happening, you know, all aboard. Overboard, I should say. But uh, it's just, again, another crazy funky song. One that probably gets more play and attention in the Prince fan community but I would argue that's more so to do with the fact that he brought it back late in his life than the fact that people just discovered it all of a sudden and again this speaks to his his more obscure songs really being a lot better than people give credit to so that's basically all I've got this is really really funky and definitely check out any live version you can get your hands on of this track because it it smokes smokes everything great performance just before we go on something just occurred to me a brain moment it's interesting from like 83 84 85 prince was wearing like this sort of victorian like pirate kind of theme and you really see it on like the sheila e album the glamorous life album you know they're really wearing this kind of like piratey kind of stuff and this song, period, like period yeah, attire, yeah. This song lyrics is it fits that kind of thing, but you know he's sort of moving on away from that pirate look at that at this point. He's starting to get like they're for this album they're in their pajamas, but uh, you know they're starting to get away from that pirate look, which is kind of <laughs> interesting because the lyrics would have fit that era a bit better, like in terms of the look. Well, you know, another interesting thing is we're saying this is this is the you know between around the world in a day and parade around the world in a day has 50 million colors parades black and white and apart from i think pink so is this album it's black and white and gray like mm. the old album cover and stuff mm. the pink so and black podcast <laughs> <laughs> all right track number three this is the big hit single well it's the big single screams <laughs> of passion If you guys can forgive me, I'm going to open this review up by saying I've never really been a fan of this song. Oh, what? You're off the show. I don't know what people see in it. The video is so tacky. I can't even watch the video. Send your hate mail to peachandblackofficial <laughs> at gmail.com. Robespresents at gmail.com. There you have it. It's not all bad, but I like... I take High Fashion and Mutiny over this song any day of the week by a long stretch too. And the reason why, I think for me, it comes down to that bloody drone sound, that droney, hiss-weak vibe. It's like, oh, that grates, it grates on my brain. <laughs> I just can't enjoy it. It is so not good. Uh, what else can I say? With all the negative stuff out of the way, or the you know, the parts of the music that I'm not a fan of, the lyrics are decent. It's quite creative in the way that it's arranged. I have to give it that. And and again, it comes down to Claire Fisher. It comes down to Prince at this point being pretty much a sponge 
for everything around him. Like he must have been on another planet during this part of his era because musically, although I don't really relate to it and I can't, it's just not hook worthy enough for me. It doesn't catch my attention enough. And that, as I said, that drone really bugs me. But I have to admit, for a song that I don't particularly like, it is very creative. Like there, the best way I can describe it is it's a piece of music that pulls and pushes in equal measure. And it's creative because of that. It just kind of, it has all these really interesting parts that really I don't enjoy, but I can, I can understand how other people would find them interesting. And the last thing I'll say is the sense of humor. It's still there. Like this is basically a song about sex, nothing new there in the Prince canon at this point, but it's funny. It's like there's, there's some screams there and Paul Peterson's like, not so loud. Shh, you know, not so loud, like keep it down. And, just, and Susanna screams again. That's a funny little moment. And there are some other funny lyrics, but Susanna screams again. That's a funny little moment. And there are some other funny lyrics, but I don't know, maybe another day. What can I say? Tojin, what are your thoughts on this? I liked your review. I kind of agree. There's something about it that's it's just I really said that it's not hooky enough. I, I kind of agree. There's there's some really interesting bits. The Lindrum the Lindrum comes in on this one. So it's a bit straighter than the uh, Mutiny in High Fashion, which had a bit more looser, flippy floppy drums. So this one's a bit more, you know, in in locked in. But there is some interesting effects. You've got that flange guitar, just like an air effect through it. The strings yeah. kind of answer the verse. For me, the strings are the highlight of the song. I think Part of the problem with this song is that there's too much of the two notes, like the or the nine. Um, it's it's kind of hangs a lot, and there's the hooks are using that note, the verses on that note. It's just a little bit too much of it, and it just kind of comes across a little bit too airy at times. The bass is kind of cool though. It reminds me of the song Space. It's kind of deep and um, similar kind of notes. Two minutes, awesome string parts there from Claire Fisher. Again, at three minutes, you get the, the strings get a bit more rhythmic. It's almost like Claire Fish is like, you know what, I'm going to take this in another direction. Like, not in another direction, but I'm really just going to go nuts here. And he starts doing all these really interesting rhythms with the strings. That's cool. I like the video, actually. I think the video is kind of cool. The strings on the beach. You know, Jerome Benton's conducting the strings on the beach. And you got the waves <laughs> crashing. Like, I kind of like the video. It has something about it. 438, it sort of goes to a minor key for a little while where Paul's singing that, if you want my body, baby, kind of changes the song a bit. I think there's an extended version as well that goes even longer, but it's hard to listen to. Uh, it just It's a little bit too long. But yeah, I, when, also when you said it pushes and pulls, that I think that was a really good describer as well because there's, there's lots of great stuff in the song, but there's something about it that's just lacking to really take it to the next level. But it is a very, it's an interesting song in the Prince canon. It's, um, we're talking about the album kind of being smack bang in the middle between Around the World and the Day and Parade. And I think this song in particular is, is the apex of that. Ooh, let's see what everyone else has to say. Captain, what are your thoughts on this one? Ooh, well... Many things. <laughs> okay. Just like, just like Player said, I think he used these side projects to do these experimental things, and some of them worked, and some of them didn't work that well. I'm with MC. It doesn't work that well. This was the first single. Like they thought, this is the best song we can put out there to promote this album. I mean, you've got great Claire Fisher strings all over the track. I laugh every time I hear those actual screams by, I guess it's Susanna. And yeah, there's some nice percussion arrangement on this track. It's a decent experimental pop track. But like Toe Jam said, you know, it's got all these cool elements, but it just doesn't quite all pull together 
and you know be a great track it's like it's it's getting there but it just didn't quite work i think epsi's so right that, this song would be so much better without that wah, 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 that, that sound there's <laughs> too much of that it's just annoying mm. and a, a few of the lines you know they're just so prince like the vocals like you could easily forget it's even paul singing it it's like you know you can tell he's exactly copied like every inflection every word straight off prince's guide vocal it's just it's so him when you listen to it to to a t and the the, the mm. issue with that is that it loses emotion i think like when prince does it he really carries the character with him but it's almost like a veneer well, it's, it's just an imitation yeah there's not any well, I think real thing behind it if you didn't know it was an imitation it might be different but the fact that we mm. know that it's so obvious that he's just copying the prince kind of thing it kind of makes it a bit awkward actually but yeah, I don't have that much to say about it. It's as we've said with many other songs that didn't quite hit the mark. Still, we'd rather have it, even if it's like a, if you want to say it's a failed experiment, we'd still rather hear it than have never heard it. So that's fine. Mm. But it's good. It's experimental. It's got some cool things in it and with all the strings, but it's just not, yeah, not one of my favorites at all. Yeah, did we come to a very intriguing part of this song review here. Player, round out the review. I can't believe I'm on the outer on this song. This song's awesome. This is kind of like, it is. With that Lindrum in it, it's kind of like the connecting link between like, kind of like the Purple Rain era sound and this, it's it's like, you know, how everything kind of links together from one project to another. This is the link. It is very drum machine-y. Yeah. So the Lindrum is, is a highlight for me. Of course, Claire Fisher, I mean, we've all said that. And it, it's really good how it, not only is it arranged, but how it's really prominent in the mix that you can really hear it. It's not like down and low and, you know, just used for mood effect. It's, it's really punchy and in your face. I think this is like dreamy pop. It's like the same sort of sounds that were coming out of that 85 era from like similar bands, you know, like Scrooty Politi and Thompson Twins and... MC's favorite Tears of Fears, like that sort of <laughs> your favorite. Yeah, mine. It just it just has something about that era that's that's kind of in line with that. I really like that long sustain keyboard chords that go through oh, it. I think that's really cool. I don't understand how you could like that. I just I truly don't. I think it's not so much the chord, but the preset sound that he uses. Like I don't mind that sound. If it was a different sound than the same chord, I'd probably yeah. But uh, like, there's something about it that I like. I think the the lyrics are quite clever in the way they're written. Like um, the one towards the start where he's talking about whenever we be lying and you think, oh, okay, lying, like not telling the truth. And then he's got that dramatic pause. And then he says, lying in my bed. Like, that's pretty cool. You know, you guys mentioned the video. I think the video is really, uh, it's cool as well. It's, it's the same as like the mountains video. It's just like green screen or blue screen, whatever they used. It's almost like they film this in the morning and then, you know, they do the mountains video in the afternoon, like on the same set on the same day or something. You know, they just changed the background graphic. Hmm. Uh, we're we're going to change it from the beach scene to the cloud scene now, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> so that's that's kind of cool. Again, like experimenting, like, you know, even with the video side, like he tries it in the family. Yeah, it works as a video. I'll do it for my video kind of thing. Turgeon briefly... Uh, mentioned it but there's this kind of the flanger effect that that's on sex shooter and it's on this as well and you can hear it it goes for about four seconds 
and it's in the right channel and it's I don't know if it comes I think it's from the Lindrum hooked up to a flanger and it kind of goes up in pitch and it continues throughout the song every like 20 to 30 seconds it's really cool it's sort of it just comes in and out and it's it's it's, it's like <laughs> almost like tis for fears MC um, <laughs> but it's, it's like MC. that moment when you're in in the ocean underwater with like heads underwater and then you take yeah. your head out of water and there's that little second where your ear just kind of adjusts to what's yeah. happening yeah. this is this this is the song where it's better to have your head underwater before you your, your head comes out of the water and you hear the next Song on this record. And I was thinking before um, that sound that I was joking about. It reminds me of like a seagull or something, like on the on the shore. <laughs> <laughs> and the scream, like who is doing the scream? Is it is it Susanna? Like it sounds like Prince. Is it Prince or is it Saint Paul imitating Prince's scream? Like who's doing? Got to be Susanna or someone grabbing Prince by the cojones. Maybe Susanna it's, did that. I don't know. It's got to be Susanna. It's a pretty. It's, it's pretty epic. Sounds epic female to me. It sounds like <laughs> that it is such like, a good sound bite. It sounds female to me. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like Prince to me personally. But... Now that you said that, I'll have to go back and listen to it, and I'll probably be like, "Oh, of course, it's him." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it sounds female to me, so it must be Prince. <laughs> If it's Paul, I mean, I can only imagine that day in the studio where Prince is like, okay, you got to sing or you got to do this scream, you know. <laughs> or you've got to do my guide vocals and you've got to do Susanna's guide vocals as well. <laughs> so, Take 42. Try it again. That's all out, baby. One more time. <laughs> so, yeah, I think I, I really like this song. I just think it's it's like a, a blissy pop song. I, I really uh, like it. I've... Like Tojo mentioned the extended Shock. version and it's it's really not that different. There's a it's a little it's I think it's mixed a bit differently. It's about a minute and a half longer. The strings seem a bit more like upfront in parts. It's, it's probably not. But yeah, as I mean this song just as it is on the album is already too long. So the extended version's just like <laughs> come on. <laughs> Unless you're a player who lives for that extended version. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, the, I think the Prince version leaked recently. <gasps> Even that I wouldn't want to hear. No, nah, it's good. It's good. <laughs> okay, let's go to the next piece of music. It is song number four, and it's called Yes. 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 All right. Captain, open up the review of Yes for us, would you please? Am I going to steal everyone's notes by saying you may as well. this is really the first Madhouse track to me? Mm-hmm. Like all yep. the elements are there from like the random shouting guy and that big room sound on the drums, the funky as hell horn stuff, like even the style of it. And even those, there's a crazy drum feel at 334. Like all this stuff turned up later in Madhouse stuff. It's all there. Like even at least two years before those albums came out. The only thing that seems, sounds a bit out of place is Wendy doing that little guitar riff. I don't recall much guitar like in the Madhouse stuff later on. It was more about the keys and the drums and the horns and Godfather samples. But yeah, that Wendy's little guitar riff sounds a bit out of place to me. It's always funny every time I hear that final yes shouted right at the end. Uh, yeah, it's it's a good song. It's one of my favorites on this album, like more than all the songs that have lyrics and vocals. So yeah. Yeah, this is an easy one for you. You don't have to spend too much time uh, <laughs> writing down and reviewing the lyrics. 
Because oh, I do that all the time, right? Exactly. <laughs> Player, what are your thoughts on Yes? Yeah, for me, it's very hard to review an instrumental track, but I agree with Captain. It's basically Madhouse. It's interesting that, you know, it's a band album, but essentially this song is just a collaboration between Prince and Eric Leeds, really. So, yeah, I don't know how the other band members <laughs> felt about that, but I mean, it's like that, the track itself is a funky song. It's it's really good. But yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know exactly what prince was going for as the end result of this album like you know is he featuring saint paul is he featuring eric because it seems like it's a more of a a platform for eric you know in an instance like this song so yeah it's just interesting well like you said before it's um this album he's using these side projects to yeah test test things out yeah you know what is this an instrumental jazz fusion whatever the hell madhouse is hmm. you know he's ne- he never put this out on his own album yeah. you know this wasn't going to be on parade no. so this is the perfect place to put stuff like this it's like we'll just try it out on this little side thing no one will know i'm it was even me and we'll see how the reviews are see what people think about it it's the same as he did what he did with madhouse later on is he put it out not under his own name at all he wanted it to be reviewed without the prince name being attached to it and yeah. just see what people That's thought true. of it. That's true. It's very true. And so you put it out here as the family and, yeah, just see what people think of this new twist on whatever it is. Yeah. In saying that, though, uh, what you just said, Captain, it's not like this was a single or um, this wasn't even really performed live much. It was performed a couple of times by the family, I think, but never live by Prince. So, yeah, like I get what you're saying, but on the flip side, I don't know how, my, how many people heard this in 1985, really. Like, you would have had to have been a hardcore fan. Yeah, still. A few people would have, you know, music people would have reviewed it, even if only three people reviewed it. That's still three reviews that he would have read and like, oh, they think this, Mm. okay. Mm. That's what they think of that track. You know, he's going to get some sort of idea how, you know, people are thinking about it. The crazy thing about this song, and this speaks to the breadth and the diversity of Prince as an artist, as a recording artist, is that this was first recorded or the initial recordings for this were first done the day before he recorded condition of the heart well if that isn't staggering just in and of itself i don't know what is i mean how do you put something like this together and then the next day come into the studio and put a blistering love ballad together aka condition of the heart it is crazy it's mind-boggling and when you make these sorts of connections and now i didn't make that connection but when you think about the just the way that he was pumping out music at the time, it's not like he was doing the same sort of thing in a slightly different way. Like he is jumping all over the map stylistically, to Captain's point. And that's pretty much my review of this song. Like, yes, you've mentioned Madhouse, but this is very funky. And again, I have to say this, how many funky jams can one guy have? It's crazy. The only other comment I've got about this song is that I'm a massive fan of the, I don't know that it's a bass, it might be a synth bass, but those descending synth bass notes are just so freaking cool. The doom, 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 That stuff is just freaking awesome in the context of the rest of the music on this song. So, so cool. And it actually, in a really strange way, reminds me of, and in fact predates, the type of music that would start coming out in R&B in the late 80s, 87, 88, 89 period. That that kind of beat, 
Now, I know it's I'm reaching here, but that element of the song, that bass, that synth bass part reminds me of the more Mac type R&B music, a.k.a. Bobby Brown and those types of artists from the late 80s. There's just, I don't know, like he's predating, as an artist, he predates so much stuff, but it's just tidbits here and there. And this is another example of him being musically adventurous and I think being a pioneer in many ways and like taking funk in a different direction. So uh, yeah, that's my review. Terjam, yes or no? Yes? Yes. This is the first Madhouse track. I totally agree. And for me, what makes Madhouse is one take drums and it sounds to me like this is just an improvised prince take on the drums he's sort of doing some beats and then he does some stops and hits and then everything else is piled on top of that rather than the other way that i guess most songs are created where you sort of come up with chords and do all that first and then you put the drums to it towards the end but i think the madhouse thing is always the reverse of that that's the way i always hear them uh eric leads this is really his first moment to really shine creatively i think because he's basically got this very raw drum beat and maybe some funky bass stuff and he's having to put a lot of the ice cream on top of it uh the bass is really cool sounds like picked to me like with some sort of octave of pedal and it's picked with a thick picks it sounds really cool it's interesting also in that it's sort of the reverse again you've got the bass kind of playing the melody and then eric leads his horns kind of answer that it's like the bass is going and then eric leads his sort of like a halloween sort of line kind of cool the chorus i guess that's that's the um descending chords part that mc was talking about and at the end of that chorus it sort of gets stuck on that one note and um it's almost like how is how are they going to get off this note? And there's always these different hits. Uh, and then at one time, I think the second time it does that, it gets stuck on that note again, and it, it sort of becomes the new uh, like tonal center of the chord. Um, and that's when Eric Lead starts doing those swell parts. Uh, but eventually, it works its way back down to the one, and then it starts to slow down. And I find that bit a bit disappointing. Actually, it's it's almost like Prince is struggling for an idea, so he goes to slow down. And the drums are a little bit sloppy at that point for me, and I kind of think, ah, oh, it's. You know, Prince is a funky drummer, but that kind of stuff, when I hear it, I think he's he's no John Blackwell, as much as we like to praise him as a great drummer, but he's he's not like in, in that league. And I think little bits like that kind of show it. In the third chorus, you got Eric Leeds coming in with some open flute. I was just going to say, it's mixed way too low, that open flute, though. I forgot about it, but it's like you can partly hear the damn thing. Yeah, well, I think it's all right. It's just sort of a background thing to get something different for the third time that chorus comes around. Um, So it's just all these little funky bits. It's a good listen. I mean, if you put this in comparison to a lot of the Madhouse stuff, I don't think it's as good as some of the later Madhouse stuff. But it, this is the first one, really. And uh, it's it's good to hear Eric Leeds really having his moment to really shine creatively and trying to turn these things into more than just grooves, but trying to make them into more, give, giving them proper lines and this sort of stuff. Yes. It's interesting, you know, Yes is pl- where it's placed, if you look at it as an LP, this is the last track of side one. So, you know, you've had the sort of three big funk songs and the big single and, and then you've got a few more minutes at the end of side one to fill up with some funky instrumental stuff yes yes good sequencing back in 85 all right all right all right halfway point of the record song number five is called river run dry And this is the only song that was not written by Prince, but it was written instead by Bobby Z. That's right. Bobby Z gets the writing credit on here. And uh, yeah, I've got, I got a fair bit to say about this, but I'm not going to go first. Player, River Run Dry. Tell us your thoughts about this song. Mm, I don't really have a lot. It's very sparse. It's just <gasps> virtually kick drum and strings. 
and I really love Bobby Z. I reckon Bobby Z is awesome. But this song, it's um, I think the chorus part is just a little bit too repetitive. I think um, a bit boring. I, no, I wouldn't say boring. It's just repetitive. Like when they keep repeating the river run dry thing, it's like okay, and then it keeps going. It's like okay, <laughs> I get it, kind of thing. But um, I, I think it's a good song. You know, for Bobby Z to have a have a place on on an album, let, and Prince let him do that and all that. I think that's really good. And I think Bobby Z is really good. And I think this song's good as well. I just think the chorus is just a bit repetitive, and it's it's a very sparse song. Just keep drumming strings. So hmm. it is quite kind of unusual, an unusual track. I think. Interesting. Unusual track. Okay. Toe Jam, what are your thoughts? I think this is one of the weakest songs ever released by Prince. I think it's I think it sounds totally unfinished. It sounds like a demo that hasn't even got close to a demo. I don't like the tape wobble effect on the strings. I would have liked to hear them just cleaner. There's just way too much kick drum. Uh, the lead vocal is way too low in the mix. You, you, I have no idea what this song is about. I've never listened to the lyrics because I can't hear them. The drums are too loud. This to me is one of the most skippable songs associated with Prince. Wow. I mean, I, more I, skippable I, than Jughead? I mean, <laughs> I, I can kind of maybe say, okay, I, I give it to him. It's, he's trying something different, trying some different effects, trying different mixes. But in, you know, in the attempting, I'll, I'll, I'll give them credit, but, you know, it fails. Sorry, Bobby. Wow. Okay. Uh, Captain. Okay. Like you said, the single track on this album, not written by Prince. And you've, you know, straight off, you got that Madhouse kick drum sound again at the start. And I'm with Toe Jam. This is probably my least favorite song on this album. Nothing against Bobby Z. It's a, it's an okay song. There's just something I've been trying to figure out what I don't like about it. And there's just this, like, this whole general minor vibe of everything. And then you've got all the strings, which just pile on top of that. I mean, atmosphere is good, but this is just too much for me. And there seems to be like a few weird chord changes, or they might be totally conventional. They just sound really strange to me. Maybe Toe Jam knows more about that, but yeah, there's some weird things going on. Yeah, loads more Claire Fisher strings all over this. But yeah, there's just like the whole vibe of it just is a bit disturbing. I don't know. It sounds like, um, I don't even know what to say. It sounds like a psychopath wrote this song. It's just something really disturbing about it. Like there's like this undercurrent of something really weird going on and I can't put my finger on what it is. Again, nothing against Bobby Z. You're not a psychopath. But there's something as far in this as we song. Know. There's something in this song which is just off to me. I don't know what it I can't figure out exactly what it is. So now MC's gonna tell us how good it is. <laughs> don't ruin it. First of all, it's Rob S. I don't know how many times I have to say it on this darn show. MC slow-mo forever. (laughs) So I have got virtually no notes because I found it really, really difficult to write notes about this song. He's going to electric intercourse this, you watch. He is, I know. I'm not not electric intercoursing it, but what I will say is that (laughs) this song is... He's literally going to fuck this song. This song is a hidden gem from Prince's... It's hidden, it's hidden all right. None of us could see it at all. <laughs> from Prince's discography from this time period. Even though he didn't write the song, I like the vibe of it and the atmosphere. When Captain talks about it sounds like a psychopath wrote this song, it's funny that you say that because the only single sentence that I strung together was... 
other than hidden gem in his discography from this period. The only other sentence is striking string arrangements give a completely and unusually disarming feeling. Disarming? Oh my God. <laughs> it is. It is disarming. And I also was thinking, what is it? Is it the lyrics? No, not really. Don't, don't is you it mean the disturbing, of... not disarming? Sorry? No, disarming. It's disarming. It's disturbing. I don't think it's disturbing at all. The total opposite. Okay. There is nothing disturbing. Should I be looking up the word disarming (laughs) right now? Disarming? Like to put your guard down? That's not what I do when a psychopath's coming at me. No. (laughs) Disarming. Having the effect of allaying suspicion or hostility, especially through charm. He gave her a disarming smile. Hmm. Oof. I thought you were going to say you gravitate towards this song because you're a psychopath yourself. No, no, that wasn't, funnily enough, that wasn't what I had in my notes. Okay, yeah. disarming is the wrong word, but it's not disturbing either. <laughs> this review's fucking disturbing. It's neither of those. It makes me feel uneasy. I'll put, I'll, Toxic? But, but I'm not. Yes, dis- yes, that's what I'm disturbing not, mean. That's what yeah, I said. It's not disturbing. It's not like Marilyn Manson disturbing. It's like slight, it's musically disarming. That's what it is. And so. Uneasy. Uh, uneasy. Well, I, yeah, I said that. Uneasy. Okay. So I wasn't sure what it was about the song that did that. And then after listening to it on constant rotation, trying to pick apart what it was, it hit me like, you know, like I felt like it was a deer in a headlights. I just got like, yes, I've, I've exposed the secret. And the truth of this is Claire Fisher's orchestrations. It's as simple as that. They are on this song so freaking weird. Musically, this is like talk if if screams of passion was pushing and pulling this is like taking a towel and wrenching every last bit of uh material out of it in opposite directions it is tina's towel it's (laughs) it's so strange no tina's towel is disarming but that's another story. So but that's the thing. Like the right, like Clearfish is Clearfish is doing some really interesting things, but then it's got this terrible effect on it. It sounds to me like it's been run through a, a cassette recorder and then put through a chorus thing. And it's like, no, just play them clean. It's just play the, sounds play the damn to me. thing. Look, I agree with you, Tojan, when you say it's got a demo feel, uh, and I like it because of that. It it it's this is a really strange song. It, it's got this demo feel, but it clearly is finished, and it is on this album. It sounds like a demo in some parts, but not in others. Now, the one other thing I'll say is that this track is allegedly the first song that Prince sent to Claire Fisher to scope out Claire and to see what kind of orchestral overdubbing and arranging he could do. Wow. And he sent back this super weird thing? Wow. The first ever song. And when Prince heard it, he was so elated and over the moon that he sent all the other tracks from this record to Claire so that Claire could add his wow. parts to that. So even if you don't like the song, you've got to respect for what the song did in, in, to Prince's music. But yeah, I, look, I can't electric into corset. I'm not going to say this is brilliant because it's not, but I will say it's unique. And it's one of those things where one of those sensations where like all the other stuff is just in the pocket gut bucket funk or balladeering and all this sort of stuff. But this song has something. It is, it's got something that just drags me in. And it drags, all right. Yeah. When I first learned that uh, Bobby Z wrote this, I was impressed. I, I was truly impressed. It's emotionally, maybe it's emotionally disturbing now that I think of it in some ways, but it's a pretty sad song. 
eerie strings. I don't know. This is just, it's one of those songs that really affected me. If you strip the strings out of this, would you still be that impressed with Bobby Z as the songwriter? No, probably not. If it's Claire's strings that are making this just so strange, I need need to go back and listen to it now and just listen to the strings. And It's not even that it's good. Yeah, it's just that it's strange. So I'm kind of on the fence about whether or not it's a good song or not, but I think it's... It's certainly affecting me as no two ways about it. And it's not affecting me like, oh, I never want to hear that again, like the Screams of Passion. It's like, oh, what is going on in this piece of music? It's so awkward and intense. So, uh, yeah. It's kind of like, it's, uh, I don't know, maybe an attempt at another Wind Doves Cry. It's got a similar kind of mood about it. And it's got the hmm. big drums as well. Similar kind of tonality. But, yeah, I don't know. This is pretty weak. <laughs> When Doves Cry morphs into River Run Dry. The river has well and truly run dry when it came to recording this song. Wow. Okay. Well, let me just take back. I don't think Bobby Z is a psychopath or a psychopath (laughs) wrote this song. I just need to go back and listen to those strings again. And maybe that's that's just what it is. (laughs) Claire Fisher's the psychopath. (laughs) (laughs) No comment. Uh, Maybe you're thinking that it, it should belong in like a horror movie or something starring a psychopath. Like Captain. The, no, the <laughs> song, if the song fits in like a horror movie like a or a psycho-thriller kind of thing. Oh, maybe. Who knows? Something starring Michelle Pfeiffer and Harrison Ford. I don't know. Um, <laughs> they were in a movie together, weren't they? Yeah, What Lies Beneath. <laughs> Track number six is called... A little song that no one's ever heard. Yeah, yeah. you might have heard of it. It's Getting away on this little side project. <laughs> Nothing compares to you. Nothing. The first time this ever came out anywhere in the world was on the Family Album. This is a song written by Prince. It's known well, very well, famously around the world in general, but specifically for Sinead O'Connor's 1990 version and that, I was going to say disarming, disturbing video, artsy video. But look, this piece of music, its I just want to hear you guys talk about this because I'm really curious to know what you guys think of this studio version. This is the original, you know? I mean, yeah, there's an original that Prince did before Paul did the uh, vocal overdubs, but still, this, for all intents and purposes, is a studio-released original version of this song. So, nothing compares to you from the family album release, Toe Jam. This is going to be a hard one to review. Yes. I think this is one of Prince's most beautiful melodies and heartfelt lyrics. To me, I sort of hear there's three versions of this song. There's this version, there's Sinead O'Connor's version, and then there's basically all the live versions he was doing from pretty much 92 onwards. Uh, he started playing it with the MPG. And uh, my personal favorite is, is the live versions that he was doing from basically 92 onwards. Like that was one of the highlights of seeing Prince live. You know, the times we saw him, this song, you'd come on and think, oh, yeah, it's nothing compares to you. But it really is. It's an amazing song. It's just so heartfelt. And when it goes to that chorus, the nothing, we know it starts singing the word nothing and it goes to that different chord. Like, it's just a moment of bliss musically, I think. I want to talk about this. So, you know, I love the song. I want to talk about this version. It's it's um definitely experimental. There's a lot of sort of wavy synths and strings and um there's no real beat to it though uh there's no bass it's basically 
it sounds very much kind of churchy and that it's just like a choir with some backing synthy stuff, like I said. It's almost like Blade Runner sense that that this is the you know the mid early mid eighties uh, Vangelis kind of sound. I don't think it's a good place on the album coming after River Run Dry because these two songs back to back it is it really brings the like you know side one of this is funky as heck and then you open up the next side with these two albums it's 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 almost like a totally different album. Um, I think Paul Peterson does a good job on the vocals. It's definitely not Prince on the vocals, you know. I mean, even even hearing Prince and like uh, Rosie Gaines and Shelby J, like both of them just smashed this out of the park when they were, you know, doing it as a duet with Prince. Eric Leeds has an interesting solo at two forty five, and it's he sort of plays. There's two two solos going on at once, and a lot of the times they're playing in unison, and then occasionally and one of the parts will do something different. So that's kind of cool. Um, yeah, like I said, this is just hard to review because of the three versions. You know, I, I kind of like Sinead O'Connor's version too. That's the beats kind of more. It's there, but this one's hard to review because it's it's not as good as the other two. But I don't want to I don't want to tear it down because it is interesting in its own right. It's a different feel. I don't like the ho, 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 ho in this version because it, it mm. kind of sounds cheesy and it's, it's almost like they're turning this beautiful, serious song into something comical and I, I don't like that about this version. So yeah, I mean, it's just an amazing song, like compositionally, musically, lyrically. Uh, this version is an interesting version, but it's probably the weakest of the versions that, that we're familiar with. Wouldn't it be great to hear the first original version of this song that Prince tracked with his like first take vocals. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if the original, original version is actually more like the live versions with, you know, with drums and sort of standard instrumentation. Cause hmm. this one is like the arrangement in this is pretty experimental. And I think really, is that what the song started with? Or is this a, a reinterpretation of the song? All right. Captain. Okay. This is it. This is the big one. <laughs> Except that's not. <laughs> This okay. song, like Tajem said, this song seems, to me, it seems so far removed from the versions that came later. Like, I know all the basic elements are there, but it just evolved so much from this, especially when it was a duet with with Rosie and then Shelby later on. I mean, there's some pretty discordant synth notes and chords on this version on what is otherwise a pretty straightforward, you know, ballad vocally, but some of the music behind it is just a little bit weird. And again, just using a side project to put out this weird experimental thing and just see what happens. And that last chord that it ends on, what is that? That's just a weird one as well. Mm. I mean, it's interesting he never released his own studio version. Like he put that live version with Rosie on on the hits, but never heard his, never released his own studio version of it. And he must have known, you know, writing this song or recording this song that there was something there because i was going to say this at the start but i didn't say it is this thing with the credits on this album this song is a hundred percent credited just to him but then he's throwing credits around to band members all over the place on this album whether they contributed or not i mean this album has a lot of that he's done it a few times before but most songs on this album they credited you know written by either jerome Paul, Jelly Bean or Susanna and combos of all of those. But only River Run Dry, which was written by Bobby Z and Nothing Compares, which was written by Prince as all the other songs. They're, only those two were actually credited right. Everything else is just throwing credits out just for fun to give them some money, I guess, later on. So it was just, um, they must have known that there was something in this song to keep the credit all for himself. Songwriting mm. credit. I disagree with that. But anyway, keep going. Yeah, I'll, I'll get to that in my review. And they also re-recorded this after Prince died. I think it was about 
about a month later, like 2016. Uh, 17 and that days. Version, seven yeah, hours. They, yeah, seven yeah. hours and how many days, hours, yeah. whatever 13, it is. 13 days, yeah. Yeah. 13 or 15? I can never remember 13. since Sinead changed 13. the bloody lyric. 13. Um, and that, that 2016 version is pretty much only strings and and vocals by Paul and Susanna and a horn solo from Eric. And the strings are actually, it's Claire Fisher's original arrangement, but played by String Genius. And I actually prefer that version to this version. But like yeah, like Toejam said, I, out of all the versions we've heard, this to me is probably the weakest. It's just a bit weird, but you know, experimental again. There's some strange things going on, but he could have just gone straight. This is, you know, this is a pop song and done it that way. But he did different things and it's interesting. So, yeah, that's all. When we reviewed um, Father's Song on the Purple Rain Deluxe album, it's a similar thing where it's almost too emotional that he has to start tinkering with it to make it funny. It's like, no, no, just just leave it. Ah, yeah. Because later on, like when Prince was doing his version, no one was singing ho ho ho, you know. Mm. That was played on a, on a keyboard. That was, and that sounded fine. But yeah, on this original version with someone actually singing that part, it just sounds a bit strange. Because yeah, it's like it's a oh, it's an emotional, serious ballad, and then you've got this bow 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 bow. It just it doesn't work. Was well, that is that call and response kind of? call and response kind of bluesy thing where you know someone's calling out and then the the choir is going yes yeah 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 we're with you you know mm-hmm. i think that's the original idea but i think it does sound better as, as just instruments doing it yeah that ho ho yeah. ho thing is very clownish isn't it like it's just just clownish and i wonder whether that was prince's attempt not to make it i mean it's already quite a personal sounding song but I wonder if he was like, mm, I've got to lighten it up a little bit because it's just too much it's too much emotion. Oh, I thought you were going to say sabotage for a second there. No. He's like, he Probably knows this is a great song, but he's already like committed to giving it to them. So he'll just make it a bit dumb. So it's not too good. <laughs> and then later on, he'll take it back and make it great. Well, it could be, you know, there is kind of a comedic element to the family, like the concept of the album, you know, they're in their pajamas and all this. There is a bit of a comedic element. So I think that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to cater it for that. Yeah. I, I always saw it as that, that ho, ho, ho bit as an attempt to make lightweight, a lightweight situation of a heavy emotion. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. Hmm. Player, tell us your thoughts about this. I reckon you get a lot to say about this song. Am I right? Uh, maybe. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, first of all, I've got to say that St. Paul Peterson's vocals are pretty damn good on this track. And when he did it in Sydney at the basement, it was really heartfelt and it, like it was really, really good. I have to at least mention that part of it. The arrangement is, it is good, but it's, I agree with the ho, ho, ho thing. Like it is just, I don't know what the reason is, if it's comedic, like you're saying, or if it's because it's, there's no drums and stuff in there, that it'd be pretty sparse if in between the verses, if there was nothing there. So it's it's almost like a filler thing to, that's the way I see it anyway. I think it's unusual that it's the mix of the Claire Fisher strings and the keyboard string sound, that they're sort of doing things together and intertwining. I think that's very unusual for, for like a Prince thing. The reason I don't agree with Captain in the sense that about thinking much of this track. I mean, I mean, he does have a good point there about having it only credited to him on this album. 
but then like I've heard the story of when he wrote this song, it was like on a rehearsal, he sat down at a piano or something and he knocked it out in like 10 minutes. You know, he went away, wrote it, came back and said, oh, here's a song kind of thing. And then after it's on like an associated artist album, you know, nothing's thought about it until Sinead O'Connor brings it out and it's a massive hit. And then after that, you know, he incorporates it into his own sets. So the way I think of it is, is let's say the Sinead O'Connor version never came out. Would he ever revisit this track? And I think it's pretty. That's such an interesting, such an interesting question. I reckon and it's close to none. It's amazing to think that, you know, it was basically one of the live highlights from yeah. in the last 25 years of his life. Yeah. Yeah. So like when, when I hear that story that he knocked it out in 10 minutes, maybe, you know, as brilliant as the song is, him himself might have thought, well, I don't really think much of this song. Yeah, it's a song. <laughs> there you go. I'll just put it on this side album and, you know, that's a track for them, but not realizing the monster that it is. And then after Sinead brought it out, you know, he's thought to himself, shit, maybe there is something there that, you know, that maybe I missed. The alternative to that is I would love to know if Sinead just, and or her people and just, just decided, hey, what do you want you want to do? And she's like, oh, you know, I really like this song and without <laughs> Prince knowing about this. Or whether it was, hey, you know, we're making a big budget commercial pop album here. Let's approach Prince and see if he's okay with us covering a song. No, 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 and no, no, then- no, no. No, 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 none of that happened. And then he's, and then no, he's, no, okay. no right. that didn't happen. I'm just no. putting out there. <laughs> no, I, no, I'll tell you the story. If you want to know the tell story, us the story. the story. Tell us the story of how Sinead O'Connor gets the song. So in the Love Sexy Batman era, Prince breaks up with his management team, the Fagnoli, Cavallo. Ruffalo, Cavallo. Ruffalo. Yeah, yeah, those guys. And Fagnoli went and managed Sinead O'Connor. And when he... When they were putting together that album, he remembered this song from Prince and he brought it to her and they did the song. And it was basically, they wanted to make it such a hit to, as a fuck you to Prince hmm. for, you know, firing him. So wow. it was, that. that's the story behind it. But they that's still crazy. would have needed his permission to release it, right? You would think. No, you, I don't think to. you need, no, you don't need to, as long as you, as long as the royalties are paid, you, you're allowed to cover a song without the artist's permission. I mean, it's like... Yeah, that's true. That's true, By yeah. law. By law, yeah. but I mean, respect. the respectful thing to do is to ask. Yes. Like, that's what yeah, Weird that's... Al's always said. Like, you know, he always asks, but he doesn't have to by law. Because yeah. mm. I think Genuine did that with When Nubs Cry. He covered the song. He didn't ask for permission, and then Prince uh, called him up and gave him one of his preaching lectures about covering his work or some crap. But yeah, I think that's true. You don't you don't need the permission. You do have to pay the royalty or whatever. But yeah, it's crazy to think that not only did this not really do anything in 1985, but it wasn't even released as a single. Like <laughs> insane. Knowing what we know about the song now, crazy. So that's that. Oh, uh, that's it from me. Yeah. Okay. So we are talking about a piece of music that is entirely written, composed, produced, etc., by Prince. On this album version, we've got Paul Peterson's vocal, following Prince's guide vocal, presumably. But here's just a few fun facts about this piece of music that, to players' point, Prince may not have really had any true idea of how incredible this music was after he had recorded it and put it on this album. Time magazine has this song in its all-time 100 best ever recorded songs. It's listed at number 77 on Billboard's greatest songs ever recorded in the history of music. Pitchfork 
has it in the mid-30s of their top 200 tracks of the 90s. So mind you, they're talking about the Sinead O'Connor version, but it's still Prince's composition. Yeah. It's still Prince's composition. And one of the most interesting ones, and I mean, these are all kind of, you know, awards and votes and all that sort of stuff. It can be controversial, but VH1 at one point ranked this as the 18th greatest one-hit wonder on one of their like video countdown things. So it's like... It's really interesting to to put all that together. You know, some people are saying it's an amazing song. Some people are calling it the best song of the 90s, even though it was released in 85, you know, technically, the song itself. Some people refer to it as a great, uh, greatest hit, one-hit wonder. And very often this song has been seen as a breakup track, which lyrically it is. And uh, maybe, and again, this is me making an huge assumption here maybe it just wasn't something that prince wanted to revisit i don't know that anyone knows exactly why he wrote it who he wrote it about i mean there are some references made to him writing this about one of his assistants from the early 80s like an assistant who who left him for some reason i think she had some personal stuff happening in a private life i don't know if you guys have heard about this but oh, allegedly yeah. that was part of the inspiration but you know sometimes you write a song and then once you start returning to it or having someone else sing it or <laughs> having a number one hit with it with Sinead O'Connor's version sometimes if you revisit a piece of music like that which is arguably what he did with this after it became a super massive worldwide smash it can become something else to you as the composer. So my comments are more about that. I don't really, you guys have covered everything, pretty much everything musically. I mean, Paul's voice is okay, but he's missing the, he's missing raw emotion. Like Paul technically sings this song very well. Like he's hits all the notes, but he just, he's missing truth. Like it's not a true expression of emotion. In, in my opinion, it doesn't come across as that. And maybe I'm being unfair and harsh because I'm comparing it to Prince's versions and renditions of this song all of which are live like i've never heard a studio cut of prince doing nothing compares to you and the other thing is um toe jam mentioned the doubled up sax solo by eric that is so beautiful it's so nicely played it's so well arranged and if you want to hear the part that i'm referring to in particular listen to this song and eric's sax between the three minute mark and the three minute 16 second mark that is just freaking amazing. It's It really is tremendous. Let me just add one interesting fact to your interesting facts is don't forget that after Prince died, this became the song, even over Purple oh, Rain. Yeah. This was the song that, you know, everyone was like, this is the song. Yeah, tributes, yeah. All the tributes and, you know, they did that thing, you know, seven hours and 15, 13 days after he died. All the radio stations in the world played it or whatever they did. Mm. This was the song. You know, people deemed this song to be, you know, this was the best thing he ever did, you know, in the public, you know, well, public I think knowledge anyway. I think it's context, though, because look what the song's about. So anyone that was performing yeah, that this as a tribute is basically singing this song about Prince in a way, in a very direct way, I think. I mean, Maxwell, from memory, did a phenomenal version of this on the uh, BET Awards show. Mm. Uh, yeah, it, look, it's a striking piece of music, but something kind of not eerie i mean it's just a fact he was bringing this back in a big way from around the late 90s and we know he had a lot of i mean the late 90s wasn't a great time for him personally but since around 1998 99 prince 
basically played this song every single year of his life. That is insane. <laughs> and in many of those years, he played it often, like a lot. And it was played at his final show on the 14th of April, 2016, the second show in Atlanta that night. Now, there were many other songs played, but we're talking about this track. So this is officially a song that was played by him in his last ever stage performance. And just to give you a bit of a, just to extrapolate out what I said, think about this. Prince performed basically full band versions and full solo piano versions between 2009 and 2016. So he's performing this song 2009, 2010, 2011, 2012, 2013, 14, 15, and 16. And he's playing it a lot. I just find that interesting. I suspect he connected with this song in a big way. He knew it went down really well with a live audience. Oh, I can't remember who it was. Might have been Toe Jam that mentioned uh, Shelby J and Rosie Gaines. Shelby J tears this song apart, as does Rosie. So what else can you say about it? It's brilliant. But it, if I have a favorite version, it, it's the live one. Probably the live one of the, of the hits. Did he ever play this himself live before... 1990 nude tour had no. he ever touched it no it was a no, nude, nude tour was the first one yeah yeah and he played it there like almost every show that's what yeah, I, I was saying if if Sinead if never did a version and it never was a hit or whatever would crazy, he ever yeah. go back and dig this one out player that's mind-blowing that is mind-blowing to think mm. about him not performing this song if it doesn't become a hit in 1990 that's yeah. crazy that's crazy but you know what's one of the things that is a bit of a shame that when the Sinead version went big, of course they credit Prince as the songwriter. So, you know, Sinead's, you know, made a big name of herself from the song and then it's connected to Prince, but no one sort of connected it ever to the family. Yeah. Like, you know, it's this kind of like little side project that never sort of became big. And you'd think like on the back of Sinead's thing that it'd give more exposure to this album. But that never really happened. And I think that's a bit of a shame. Yeah, no one was ever like, oh, yeah, this song, this song. Yeah, this was originally done by the family. Yeah, yeah <laughs> no. exactly. Oh, this is a Prince song. Yeah. Mm. Which I think that's a, a little bit of a shame because people, you know, still don't know of this group or, or anything. So they might know that Prince wrote the song, but they wouldn't have heard that this version. Hmm. So I think that's a bit shameful as well. All right, all right, all right. Track number seven, Susanna's Pajamas. This is clearly filler. Oh. It's okay, but the drumming is sloppy. Are you kidding? It's purposefully sloppy, but it's sloppy. The end reminds me of the groove in what's that S and T brand? Is it Brand New Orleans S and T single? SST, you guys know what I'm talking yeah. about? SST. Yeah, the, the the end of this song reminds me of the groove in in SST. But this is practically look. I'm not, look. I'm not going to call it filler. I'm just being controversial for the sake of it. Kind of. Oh, this is good, but it's Eric. Eric is what's good about it. And I'll leave it there because you guys... Me and Toja, I'm going to smack you in a minute. May have something to say about this. But Eric is... I think, In fact, I think it's Eric's song. This is nice just to hear Eric play. And he is going a bit nuts, which is great to hear. I love his horn playing. And it's great to hear him stretch out. 
But you know what? I take it back. It is filler on this album. It's just, it doesn't do anything. It's not in the right position. I don't know. Oh, my God. It's it's not a bad piece of music, but it's nowhere near as good as Yes. Right, guys? Oh, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Captain, go. What are you talking about, you maniac? I think, I mean, this is a Prince and Eric collaboration, but I think parts of this ended up in another song on an Eric Leeds album later on. Anyway, Funky Groove straight off. Uh, This was originally, the song was originally called Maserati since this track was originally for them, but then Prince took it back, which he also did with Kiss. They must have been really annoyed that he kept taking (laughs) songs back from them, I'm sure. Now, I know Toe Jam's probably going to mention this, but Eric is just, as soon as he plays the first note, you just know it's Eric Leeds. Yeah, yeah exactly. Instantly recognizable. And that's that's something, you know, there's not a lot of people. Like, just from the first couple of notes, you straight away you know who it is. It's crazy. Some very funky stuff kicks in at 1.30. You've got these bass and horn solos going at the same time. And then the keyboards come in as well, doing some cool stuff. Now, MC says this is filler. Uh, so are you saying most skippable song on this album? Yeah. Oh, okay. Tied with This is tied with Screams of Passion for two, two worst songs on this record. Oh, uh, above River and Stry, you got to be kidding me. Come on. <laughs> Definitely. You, I would rather listen would, to oh. I would rather listen to River Run, River Run Dry than this, only because oh, if I want to Jesus. hear this, I'll put on Madhouse, I'll put on Things Left Unsaid, I'll put on all those great records, and I'll get a better version of this. This is like, yeah, it's okay, but I don't know. Yes is way better than this. This smokes been... half the stuff on Madhouse. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Same feeling. It. It's just not catchy enough. I'm tired whether this or Yes is my favorite song on this album. And I'd pick either of the, these two instrumentals over any of the vocal tracks on this album. We are polar I mean, opposites, clearly. Mutiny is funky, but you've got all these lyrics in the way. So I oh, I just want to <laughs> hear the music. So I don't know what the hell you're talking about. Oh, Jam, tell him he's wrong. Uh, th- this song, this is funky. I love this song. This like I just said, I think this this is better than most of the Madhouse tracks. It's so smooth. The brushes on that snare. Come on. Have you ever heard brushes sound so funky? Uh, the bass <laughs> has this octave effect all the way through. And um, there's a lot of bass soloing in this. There's some funky bass solos. 135. It's just this crazy stuff. The heats, there's so many hits in this song. Like It's like popcorn just popping. Like uh, and The, the um, synths are really high. Like, just these rhythms going on and the bass is going nuts. I'm just going to keep saying bass. Go listen to this song and listen to the bass. And then with all through this, you've got this clean wire going. It's almost like a kiss riff. Now that I think about it, it goes to the four chord. So it's almost kind of a blues as well. Like it sticks on the one, then it goes to the four chord. And then there's like a little turnaround. Bump, bump, bump. Then there's a bit of a break. Eric Leeds does some crazy squeal. And then there's this fart note on the synth. Just bump. Oh, man. This is, this is the funkiest stuff. MC, I can't. You would rather listen to River Runs Dry than this? Oh, my God. Yeah, I'm totally. This to me is like. A shock moment on the show. I cannot believe this. It's because MCs become Rob S and it all went downhill. That's what it is. That's what it is. Oh, man. This song is too funky. This song played loud like this blows. This is... Maybe I need to play it louder. It does blow. This Um, this Rob S guy, he's off the show. (laughs) 
I need to play it louder, obviously. Get MC back. We want MC. We haven't heard the play, but okay. I'll do you a favor. I'll listen to this song again. Gosh. I can imagine um I can imagine Prince and Eric Leeds doing yes and then going, Hey, that was kinda cool. Let's let's do something else like this. And then they do this and they're like, Even Oh better. yes, let's do an album like this. Let's do an album. And I don't think the Madhouse <laughs> albums reach what, what Susanna's pajamas have, but this is oh my god, too funky. That's what I wrote on my in my notes. It's too good. Yep. All right. Well, Yes was October was recorded in October 1984, and mm. this was recorded in late June 1984. So they played this first. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. Well, there you go. There you well, go. Yeah. So it it all was all downhill from Susanna's pajamas in terms of the. <laughs> <laughs> Susanna's pajamas is the apex of those two <laughs> of those two collaborating together. Uh, okay. Yeah, the bass when the bass is doing that line, it's just like bump bump, but it's bending the third, and it's like, is it hidden the major third? Oh, it's all funky in there. Good stuff. <laughs> Yeah, listen to this and think of it like popcorn. Listen to the bass soloing. Eric Leeds, like that pop, fart pop, note pop, I was pop, talking pop. about. Listen to the turnaround. Every time they do the turnaround, I'm just going to sing it again because I love it. Dun, dun, dun. Eric Leeds. Fart note. It's so cool. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like music to me. Oh, I love that. Can I get it on a single? Player, what are these guys on about? Hey, I have to agree with them. It's really funky. What? It's another parade feel style song for me. And the only thing that I can reference point this to something on parade would be love or money, the extended version with Eric Leeds solo. The end of that, it it just, for some reason reminds me of that song. Yeah. And it's just really funky instrumental. And I agree with everything that Captain and Toe Jim say. So take oh, that, suck on that. Suck on that, Robert. <laughs> I'm just going to move it forward. Hey, I'm doing this. Track number eight. <laughs> I'm going straight into it. I don't even want to talk about this anymore. Track number eight, the last song on this album, is called Desire. And I'm going to hand it over to someone, as I always do. Who wants to be on this? Who who wants to be next? Who likes this song? Um, who loves this song? I don't. I say I love it, but it's an it's a very interesting closer. Okay, tell us why it's an interesting closer. It just has some unorthodox choice of instrumentation, some really unusual sounds. There's that beaded shaker that was used in Power Fantastic that makes a return in this track. And in, it reminds me in parts of D. Michelangelo on the Sheila E. in Romance 1600 album. The way the verses are delivered, it's, it sounds very similar to me. So it's really got that sort of 85, 86 kind of sound with these three songs, Desire, Power Fantastic, and Dear Michelangelo. So I think it's just an unusual song and an unusual closer. It's not good. It's not bad. But it's just, yeah, it's just an, an oddity. It's probably the word I'd use. <sighs> I feel like I've got to do this. This yeah, could be the second. Electric this could be the course. second. Could be the second best piece of music on this record. I mean, outside of oh Mutiny and High God. Fashion, it is amazing. This is great. <laughs> it's brilliant. Like th- this song is like a mini movie, like a short film of like. Uh, Are you just trying to be me and like just going against what the other you, three think? No, I'm serious. It's like this song basically is oh. like a a visual Bird. metaphor. 
of of a masquerade ball masquerading as life or, or, or the love lives of people like it's crazy this track it is insane in the sense that it takes great lyrics thematically it's really really strong it's arranged nicely. It's got Claire Fisher and Eric both doing really classy contributions or giving classy contributions. It is actually possibly the best vocal performance by Paul Peterson on this album. And it's an interesting composition. The thing I love about it, outside of everything that I just said, and you know, creates a mood and vibe and all this sort of stuff, is that I find myself wanting to listen to this song again after it's over. And I think that's always a good test. Like for me, when this is done, I feel like pressing you know, previous or whatever the button is that I'm using and just listening to it again. This is really, really, really deep, this track, actually. I, and I think this is one piece of music that describes the inner working of Prince's mind, but he very cleverly puts a song like this on an album that most people would never hear and on the end of an album that, that most people would never hear, so they probably would never even get this far. And I think it stands as as one out of only a handful songs that truly tell us who Prince was at his core. That's how much I think this reflects what kind of guy he was. Now, I could be reading into this massively or I could have a point. We may never know. But I, I get that. Look, I get the sense that Prince would be uncomfortable singing this. Maybe, maybe, maybe a little bit uncomfortable. And so what he does is he gives it to someone else to sing because it's too close to him. It's just, it's a little bit, it touches on some emotion or some belief or some worldview that he holds or yeah, as I said, emotion, and he just gives it to someone else. So a couple of lyrics here that I think are cool, interesting, but also funny. Dream of a physical evening. I long for a night within you. Kind of cool. And isn't the expression of my complexion enough? Like, it's just basically poetry. It's as poetic as he's ever been. Very clever ly lyricism. It fits perfectly into the song. What more can you say? I'll leave it all hanging out by saying this. Possibly my favorite moment in this song is, wait for it, when it fades out. But after it fades out around the four minute mark, and before the song eventually comes back in, it's a really interesting use of silence and sound because it doesn't go completely dead silent. If you've got this song turned up loud, you can actually kind of, you know, it's not as if the song turned off and came back on again. It just creates this really strange sensation of continuity, but at the same time, a warped sense of time and of some sort of fragmented reality. This is a deep track into Prince's psyche. Mic drop. I'm amazed by your brain. <laughs> Seriously. There you go. I, I, I said it. Who wants to pick up the mic? Anyone? Me. Anyone testing? Testing? One, two, Me. three. Captain, go. I like how this segues from the last track, and that is exactly where the positive things I have to say about this song end. <laughs> Remember when I said River Run Dry was my least favorite track? A hundred percent, I'm changing it to this one. It is just so MC saying, oh, this is Prince. This is exactly, this is him. This is the most plodding, low energy thing I think I've ever heard. <laughs> Have you heard that no, that's, show? That's what Prince, that's Prince's psyche is. <laughs> I cannot find a single redeeming feature in this song. It is just, oh, not, it's not on. good. That's probably, if I'm going too far in one direction, you're definitely no. going too far in the other. No, it is. I'm just reading my notes word for word. I mean, it starts to fade out at like 3.20, which is more than enough of this song. And then we hear, it sounds like 
waves. Someone obviously just threw this in the ocean where it belongs, but <laughs> somehow the waves bring it back in and we get to hear a whole one more minute of it, which adds absolutely nothing. It was the, the ocean on the set of the Screams of Passion video. That's what it was. It adds absolutely nothing to this track to bring it back. And I think it was Player said, you know, it's a, it is a really weird song to end a pretty good album with a song like this. I mean, literally any other track on this album would have been a hundred times better closer than this it's just it's a weird weird thing the Uh, only uh, thing i could agree the only thing i could agree with is if someone says plotting because i'll be the first person to admit that even though i like the song a lot it, it does have a plotting element a plotting quality if you can call it that it does but i, I still just, don't take back what i said oh low energy <laughs> it's come on how do you end an album with this it's oh my god all right most skippable track no way you must be talking by about susanna's pajamas mile by 10 miles Use kilometers. We've got the metric system here. <laughs> Most of our listeners are American, in case you didn't notice. Yeah, no, I know. That's true. 4,000 miles. Shout out to all our American and Canadian listeners, by the way, uh, and our European listeners. And Puerto Rico. And while I'm at it, everyone who listens to it. <laughs> okay, Toe Jam, round out our review of Desire and say something interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I like this song. I think... It's one of those ones when it first comes in, you think, oh, yeah, this one, I'll skip this one pretty soon. But actually, when you listen to it, it is kind of interesting. Um, it reminds me of the song Girl, uh, Prince B-side from Around the World in the Day. And that girl starts on chord one and then goes to chord seven, and it goes back and forth between these two, those two chords. This one goes the opposite. It starts on chord seven, and it goes to chord one. So it's just the other way around. And it rotates between those two chords for most of the song. Um, I really like the lead line, um, that held note, and Eric and the strings are doing it. I think it definitely captures a mood, kind of a, a mood, like a private mood moment between two people and the light marimbas and the shakers and the, the wave sound. It's it's hamming up the romantic kind of stuff. And it reminds me of the song Elixir in terms of that sort of private moment between two people. There's a really crazy note by Eric Leeds at 205. Just out of nowhere, he's playing this... Like, it's pretty funny. <laughs> that sounds um, uncannily like the <laughs> from Susanna's pajamas. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's crazy. Go That's back to the thought to of this track. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I like this one. I think I think it definitely captures a mood. It definitely captures something. I think it works as an album closer, but I think it's a shame that this side of the disc, if you think, you know, the last yeah. few songs, yeah. this album doesn't finish strongly and that you've got River Run Dry. Nothing compares, even though that's a great song. It's a kind of a um, spacey Ballad. version. Susanna's Pajamas, as funky as that is, it's, it kind of sticks out a bit on this side. And then you've got this one. And it's kind of a, a slow fade away from the stronger, much stri- song, stronger side one, I think. It just um, fizzles out. It kind of does. But this song, I think MC's, I don't disagree with what a lot of his, what he's saying in terms of the lyrics and the kind of more personal things that are going on. This this could have been a song that he could have revived, I think, in, in latter years as a live version. Maybe could have done something a bit more with it, like um, he did with Nothing Compares to You. So it's a good song. It is plotting a bit, like you guys have said. So I'm not going to go over the top. But, you know, I like this one. Hmm. I All actually right. can't even remember the song. It's nothing like a bit of controversy to end the show. Let's do an album summary wrap-up. I mean, we've spoken at length now about the music. It's only eight tracks, but we've been going about eight hours. Final thoughts by the Peach and Black podcast panel on the family album, the one and only lonely family album. Player, what are your overall 
final thoughts? Uh, I think this is a very interesting side project. Like I said, it's a testing ground for Prince's later works and instrumentations, especially with sax and strings. I definitely agree with Toejam about the sequencing. The first half is much stronger than the second half. It's very unusual that there's three slower ballad type style songs on the second side. I think at least one of them should have been flipped for side one just to break it up a bit. Or even in these days of playlists and stuff that you could resequence it differently. But that side one is so killer. So it's a, it's a bit of a tough one. But I think this second side just kind of suffers because of it. I know when Prince was putting this project together, he said to St. Paul, we're going to go after that Duran Duran money. <laughs> and I know, I know that like Duran Duran was more like a kind of boy band in the 80s. And this is more like a more sophisticated jazz funk outfit. So I think it's a very different kind of project than what he's kind of envisioned at St. Paul. But yeah, it is a great album, but it's, it is a, a rare, rare album. It's, it's like, especially in Australia, it's hard to find. And it's not that well known. It's just like a, a, a more like a cult album within the Prince circles. So mm. even though it's got this big song on it, nothing compares to you, it's still got that cult kind of status about it. So I think it's a great album. But, yeah, it's um, unfortunate that it's it hasn't received more airplay and more promotion and all this yeah. exposure. Yeah, I will it's say like that the little, say- little album that could kind of thing. <laughs> exactly. I, I will say though that uh, the comment you made around, you know, Prince saying to Paul, we're going to get that uh, Duran Duran money. It's more like Spandau Ballet money. If you listen to Screams of Passion, it sounds more like one of those new romantic pieces of music more than anything else. But anyway. Like you said, it's got that European kind of feel about it. Mm. Mm. Toe Jam, what are your final thoughts? Um, it's an enjoyable album overall to listen to. Um, as I said at the beginning, I, I kind of see this album as just like a, a love affair between Prince Eric Leeds and Claire Fisher, like, they're the three creative minds behind this. You know, Prince kind of directing the whole thing, and but Eric Leeds and Claire Fisher just bringing so much to it. It's kind of weird that it's advertised as this band album, and as far as we can tell, you know, these guys got back together in the 2010, I guess, around there, as F Deluxe and and toured, and and I guess are still out there doing stuff as F Deluxe, you know, which is the family. But it, they only really played like one show back in '85. Um, which I think is, you know, circulating. First so Avenue. It's almost like, yeah, it's like the band that was, it's like this fictional band. Like it's it's kind of different from the time and that, you know, the time we're actually out there touring and playing. But this band was kind of put together. They're not really on, they're not, uh, you know, other than St. Paul, they're not really on, and Eric, um, they're not really on the album. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Jellybean doesn't play a note on this album. I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case. <laughs> You know, Jerome Benton is supposedly part of the album. He does nothing on this. So it's, it's kind of weird in that respect. I don't have much hmm. more to say about it. I think that it's interesting in that there's this mix between this like hardcore driving funk and these kind of slow synthy Blade Runner ballads. It's, it's kind of an odd mix between the two. But it's certainly an enjoyable album. I'll, I'll leave it there. Don't forget the only reason they came back with the name F Deluxe is because Prince said you cannot call yourself the family mm, and yeah. put out new material. So there was that whole aspect to it as well. You know, he'd created this album and this thing. This brand. And they and they wanted to continue it. And he's just like, no, what you're doing is not continuing from what I did. 
You want to do it's a new thing? Mind. That's fine. You do a new thing, but you're not touching the family name. Oh, oh that's a song. Huh. I would definitely, I would definitely recommend to anyone to track down the F Deluxe album, the first one that came out. I think it was called Gaslight. Maybe that Gaslight, was the song. Yeah, yeah. good album. Yeah. That's a really good album, and, and like they really do a really good job of recreating the family sound, even though, you know, for as far as we can tell, like they weren't really involved in the recording of most of. The actual family album but they do a great job of recreating that sound all right captain final thoughts on this record it's interesting like out of all these associated artist albums or proteges whatever that you they want to be called like as hard as this album can be to find an original copy of this is probably up there in the top three associated artist albums like i'm just i'm struggling to think of something that ranks higher than it what do you mean by top three like top three loved or top three yeah like by prince fans right this is way up the list way at the top of the list of like best side project you know do you reckon it's higher than apollonia six is not at the top of that list do you reckon it's higher than carmen electra i would say that yes (laughs) (laughs) would mc say that there We don't know who MC is anymore. Where he is? Who is he? Who is MC? Does he even exist? He's a psychopath. Did he, did he ever exist? <laughs> the mystery. Rob S disarmed him. <laughs> He's disarming. That's right. Look, this is a great album from 1985, and it's a great look into you know the transition between Around the World in the Day and Parade and Madhouse. Because you know usually we've got one Prince album after another. Usually everyone's totally different from the last. So to have this like bridge, you know, in between with this like testing these things out before it came out, you know, the next album is. It's really interesting in that way, just for that. And of course, it's got nothing compares to you, so that's something. But you know, it's like I said, I've only probably only heard this album three times, like straight through ever. It's but it's it's just not an album that I feel like listening to. Like even now, I probably won't listen to it again for a long time. It was great to listen to it and review it, but I'm not gonna you know I'm not gonna get it out next week and go oh yeah I'll listen to this again. There's just nothing that like attracts me that way. It doesn't have like re-listening you know anything to bring me back to it. So there. Hmm. Well. For mine, I think there's plenty of stuff that's re-listenable here. High fashion, mutiny, yes, nothing compares to you, desire. And, of course, River Run Dry, just for the pure experience of trying to figure out what the heck is going on with that song. This is a very solid album. It is one of the best side projects or protege albums. It's got one of his most iconic ever songs, and it's in a really unique way it is it's kind of an outlier because other protege albums or other related works basically almost always feature female vocalist the time notwithstanding the time is just this other, whole other kettle of fish anyway so to me it's it's kind of awkward weird interesting but also somewhat jarring listening to paul paul's a good singer he's a great bass player and he's a good musician but hearing him sing the prince guide vocal just doesn't come across as well as when women sing prince's guide vocal that's just me and so that's why it's odd it's an oddity but it's also kind of like an art piece. Like you look at the album cover. I do have the vinyl edition, picked it up in a Sydney record fair, gladly. 
and and it's great like you open it up it's you know <laughs> wearing pajamas and period clothing and attire and all this sort of stuff and it's it is unique it is interesting it's very it's got very solid songwriting by prince at this time and it's it's hard for it not to because he was on fire at this point virtually everything he touched turned to gold and uh it's one of those growers i think it's a sleeper it's a sleeper in the best possible sense worthwhile checking out worthwhile getting if you haven't already got it and worthwhile discovering rediscovering i should say over the however many years we've got to get into the music so very solid album definitely going to be listening to this and it's been a blast talking about it and that is the end of the show. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your continued support. Thank you to everyone on the panel, all of our our entire global audience. And uh, yeah, that's about it. As a family. <laughs>